This is a study tonight uh, from the book of Proverbs, but it's an introduction. I can't complete it tonight, and uh, so I want to get you started, give you something to think about, and, um, and get, you, get you going. Uh, Pastor didn't give me a topic. He didn't assign me a topic. So um, knowing your emphasis here and, and uh, what's on my burden and what's on my heart, I've chosen to speak on training the next generation. I've been a pastor for over 40 years. I've been a parent for over 30 years. I've been a Christian educator now for over 20 years. I've been a grandfather now for over five years. I, I'm interested in training the next generation. I love your emphasis here on discipleship and mentoring as a pastor. 2 Timothy 2.2, uh, the things which thou hast heard of me. Among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Four generations in that verse. Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others. It's passing on our faith and, and passing on truth to the next generation. As parents, reminded of the great passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy might. The words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Oh, it's not that bad. Come on, I'm just getting started. Okay. <laughs> the words that I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shall walk a, a talk of them when you sit um, in the house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. As an educator, Psalm 145, verse 4, One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. As a grandparent, I'm reminded of the verses in 2 Timothy. Paul says about Timothy, That from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. And he began the book by saying, you have unfeigned faith, the faith that was found in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. Grandma and mom taught the child, uh, taught the scriptures. And so I'm interested in training the next generation. Our life is like a relay race, which is why we have the visual that we have on the screen there. We must pass it on to the next generation. If we fail, fail to do that, then, then we failed. And so those things that are most important to us, uh, we must pass those on to the next generation. So the question is, what are we supposed to teach? Now, obviously, we're going to teach the great doctrines of the faith, right? We're going to do that. And, and uh, the church is set up, established, um, scope and sequence, and, and James showed me the plan that they have for the children, the teens, and, and uh, pastor preaching through a book, and, and, and working through the material, passing on the great... Uh, uh, doctrines of the faith, but what about as a parent? What about as a grandparent? Uh, what 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 are are we to pass on? What are we to teach? Well, that's where we turn to the book of Proverbs. Let's turn there. There are uh, several passages that I could go to and speak from, but but I um, I'm drawn to this passage in Proverbs because in Proverbs we we have the phrase "my son." And, and we have Solomon giving specific instruction to his children. So we have a parent speaking to a child. Uh, clear instruction here. There's very important information that he wants to get along and, and uh, pass along. So he uses the expression, 
my son, my son, my son. When, um, when we were over here at the church the other day, James came in, kind of gave me the layout, how it was going to be, and brought me up here. And I looked and I said, where's the clock? No, no, no clock. In our church, there's a six-foot clock on the back wall. So 22 times Proverbs says, my son, how about a 22-point message? How, how would that be? Oh, I don't hear any amens on that one. <laughs> so we're not going to cover them all, okay? We can't do that. This is an introduction. We'll just give you a, a few thoughts to get started with and, and a, a few things to think about. Let me draw your attention to Proverbs chapter 1. Notice verse 8. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. Forsake not the law of thy mother. They shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity uh, to open your word and to teach it tonight. Uh, a great privilege for me to be here, stand into this pulpit, be able to open the word of God. So we ask, ask your blessing upon it. Now, guide and direct our time together. May it be profitable. May it stimulate thinking and challenge moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, uh, Sunday school teachers, and, and uh, uh, workers, youth workers, and, and uh, all, all of us to uh, teach the next generation and to pass on uh, great truths to the next generation. Guide and direct our time together, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first of those... 22 uses of my son is found in verse 8. Let me give you, let me give you five, five simple thoughts here um, uh, from, from the book of Proverbs on things we should be teaching. This is, this is not um, uh, conclusive. This is not complete. This is an introduction. Number one, we need to teach them to stand alone. We need to teach them to stand alone. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 19. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 19. Have your Bible there? Read that with me. Let's read out loud together. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 19. Ready? My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us live privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Restrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. They lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. We need to teach the next generation to stand alone, to stand alone. This day and age, um, we've seen it. I've been in the ministry four decades. And in the last decade, we've seen the decline of Christianity in a, in a, at a faster rate than ever before. Our country is in trouble. And we look around, look around the world, and we see various situations around the world. We're not there yet, but if the Lord tarries, um, we're, we're getting there. And, and the slope is becoming faster, the, the rate is becoming faster. We need, to learn. we need to learn to be able to stand alone. We need to teach our children to do that as well, and teach the next generation to stand alone. I'm old, 
Okay, I, I, I'm not going to be around, uh, but I, I want to make sure my grandchildren understand the meaning of this, that they're willing to do this. Okay, they, they, if the Lord tarries, they, they will face this and need this much more, much more than I, I do. Let me give you two simple thoughts about standing alone. First of all, you need to check your path. Look at verse 15. If uh, uh, walk not thou in the way with them, refrain thy foot from their path. If sinners entice thee, say no, no. No, not going to do that. Be willing to stand alone. You need to check out the path that they're on. The path that they're on. Verse 15 talks about walking, talks about the path. Uh, is, is the path according to God's word? If, is the path according to God's word? So if the path is according to God's word, then stay, stay on that path. But if they want to veer off of that path, you don't go with the people. You stay on the right path. Make sure you're on the right path. Stay on the right path. So we have, we have churches that have veered from the right path. We have individuals that have started off well, and now they've, they've veered from, from the path as laid out in God's Word. And we need to be willing, if the crowd goes that way, veers away from God's Word, we, we need to uh, uh, let the people go and stay with the path, the right path, the path of God's Word. We need to be willing to follow that alone. Even, that, even if that means um, standing alone, Standing alone. Uh, we had COVID and in our, our community, um, everything was shut down. And um, so one of, the, one of the pastors in our community, Nazarene pastor, um, sent a notice to a lot of the different churches in the community, said, let's do a Zoom talk. Let's talk about this. I was, I was real curious. And I, do a, I don't do a lot of things with other pastors in town. I have a few men that I fellowship with. But so that I, I'm one of 15 um, on this Zoom call. And I'm, I'm the Baptist, and, and um, we've got the Methodist and Lutheran and Pentecostal, and, 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 they're, on, and they're talking about all this. And, and after we were about 30 minutes in, I, I buzzed in, and they acknowledged me, and I said, has anybody, anybody thought about opening up our churches again and meeting together? Have, have you considered that? And, and um, oh boy, you thought, you know, oh, I, I, I was called cavalier. You know, because I wanted us to come together as a church to meet again, to, to open up our churches and to meet again. I said to one pastor, I said, don't you understand the Bible says we're supposed to assemble together and you're supposed to do that? He said, I can't do that. I said, why is that? He said, I can't do that till, till the denomination tells me I can. Well, they, I, I, we, we got to be willing to stand alone. We be willing to stand alone. It's a simple illustration. We we determined that we were going to open up regardless, regardless. Then President Trump said that churches were essential, and we didn't have any worries at all. But we determined it was the right thing to do, even if we were the only one in town. We we didn't make a big stink out of it. We didn't call the newspapers. We did write a letter to the mayor and appeal to the mayor and ask him to regard us as essential. And the fact that we were going to we were going to open up anyway, we'd ask his blessing. On, on, on doing that. So sometimes you just need to stand alone. Just need to stand alone. And, and so we need, to, we need to teach the next generation. What's your path? And if they stray from God's path, you stay on the right path. Stay on the right path. Notice, secondly, you got to know your friends. Verse 15 talks about them. Walk not in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Who are they? Those that say, sinners that say, uh, uh, come with us. 
Let us lay wait for the blood. Let us swallow them up alive. We, 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 can, we, can, we can do this. We can get rich and uh, we can find all manner of precious substance. We can fill our houses, cast in your lot with us. Come, come, we can all do this. We can do this all, all, all together. You need to know your friends. You need to know your friends. Uh, young people, if your friends make it easy for you to sin, they're not true friends. They're not, not true friends. So if your friends are encouraging you to do, to do wrong, they're, they're not your true friends. And the Bible and the book of Proverbs in particular has a ton to say about friends, good and bad. The good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to friends. So study, study the book of Proverbs and determine what a good friend is. And a good friend will not make it easy for you to sin. And so we have to learn to stand, stand alone. We have to learn to stand alone. Proverbs 13.20 says... He who walks with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Walk with the wise. Walk with the wise. And I've discovered as uh, uh, being involved in Christian education and, and Christian school and, and that kind of thing, it's not enough just not to do the evil that others do. You have to be willing to stand up for what is right. And so we struggle with our, our young people, a group over here that want to do something and it's mischievous and it's against the rules and shouldn't do that. And these, these students over here aren't, aren't going to join them in doing that, but they're not going to stand up either and say, come on, you can't do that. That's not right. Come on, you know better than that. So standing up for what is right, being willing to stand alone, is not just saying no to evil. It's standing up for what is right. Standing up for what is right, be willing to do that. And, and as Christian young people with lots of Christian friends, we need to be encouraged to do that. To be willing to stand up and say, no, that's not the right thing to do. Let's do this. And so what we need to do in this day and age is we need to teach the next generation, teach them to stand alone. Secondly, look at Proverbs chapter 2. We need to teach them to treasure God's word. We need to teach them to treasure God's word. Re read with me Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 9. Okay, read, read with me verses 1 through 9. Ready? My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. Notice the eight action verbs here in these first four verses. Receive, hide incline, apply. That's talking about active listening, active listening. There's a difference between passive listening and active listening. Ask any school teacher. They, they, they can tell you and illustrate the difference. The kids that are engaged, the kids that are in tracking, and the kids that are not. Talking about active listening, crying after knowledge, lifting up your voice for understanding, seeking her as silver and searching for her as for hid treasures. Isn't it interesting that valuable gems aren't found on the surface? You have to dig for them. You have to get below the surface a little bit. It takes work and effort. It's worth the effort when you find them, but it takes a little bit of effort. 
if it was on the surface, uh, they, they wouldn't be precious gems. They wouldn't be precious gems. So uh, uh, those, are the, those are the eight action, action words. Notice the conditions. If you will do this, if you will receive, if you will incline thine heart, if you will cry, if you will seek, then it's conditional. Wisdom just doesn't come. There's a condition that has to be met. If you do this, then wisdom comes. If you do this, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. If you do this, then you'll understand righteousness and judgment and equity. It's conditional. But what is the end result? The end result is treasure, treasure, great spoil, psalmist says in Psalm 119. A word is like treasure, valuable treasure. And we need to teach the next generation the treasure of God's Word. The treasure of God's Word. We can't, can't allow it to become commonplace. Can't, can't allow it to be just something we do. Okay, we have to, have to help them uh, to see the value in it and the treasure that is in it. And teach them how to mine the treasure that is in God's Word. Two simple thoughts. Number one, we need to model this quality. Model this quality. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. I quoted that just a few moments ago. These words which I command thee shall be in thine heart, and then thou shalt teach them. You have to be doing this yourself, then teach your children. You show them what it's like. I love to hear testimonies from individuals who talk. Um, Cindy Grass talks about her dad and and, and she knew that if she got up to go to the bathroom at 5 o'clock in the morning, she'd find her dad in the living room with his Bible open. Because he was up before 5. 5 o'clock, he was, he was with the Bible. And, and about 5.30, he'd be on his knees, the chair that he'd just been sitting in, reading in his Bible, and he'd be on his knees praying. And Cindy talks about um, uh, she could count on that as a child. Watch, watch, when, when her dad got saved, he got the real thing. And, and he, he modeled, modeled that for her. We have to have it in our own life and then teach it to the next generation. Teach it to the next generation. Look over at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. We need to give instruction along. Uh, 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 we need to give instruction with correction. So along with our instruction, there needs to be correction. Notice another one of these, my, my sons. Look at verse 11. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Are you there? Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Read it with me. Ready? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father of the son in whom he delighteth. Now we know this passage is quoted in Hebrews and, and the great discipline passage that is there. But he's talking about my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and correcteth. We're raising the next generation. We have to instruct them, but we have to correct them as well. We have to correct them as well. Ephesians chapter 6 says we raise our children in the what? Nurture and admonition of the Lord. Admonition is the instruction. What's nurture? That's the word for correction. That's the word for training. So when, when we teach, we need, to, we need to be willing to correct them. We need to be willing to correct them. Uh, you're familiar with 2 Timothy 3.16. Quote it with me. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We need correction and instruction. The Bible is good for doctrine. This is the way. Walk ye in it 
and we start to wander away, we start to get off that path, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to rebuke us and to convict us. And then the Word of God is used to bring us back to the right path, and the Word of God is used to give us further instruction on how to continue to walk with the Lord in a way that is right and pleasing to Him. Notice in that verse, there's instruction and correction. And so when we, when we get into the Word of God, we teach the Word of God to our children. We teach with, with correction and with instruction. Uh, uh, instruction with correction. Make sure, make sure that you have a balance of both. Children are younger. Uh, um, they, can't, they can't grasp a lot of instruction. There's lots of correction that goes when the children are younger, right? And then as they, as they grow, there's less of the correction and more of the instruction, by the time you get to get to the teen years, okay, you shouldn't have to be spanking your children. That you should have them under control. They 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 should have that. They should have some discipline uh, uh, about them by that time. But there's tons of instruction that take place. Same way, you don't reason with a three-year-old. You don't you don't you don't reason with a three-year-old. And and so there's instruction and correction. There's a balance that needs to be made. And and uh, we need to teach them God's word. Teach the next generation to treasure God's word. This is a valuable valuable treasure you hold in your hand. Make sure you value it and you're in it on a daily basis. Then teach your children how to do that as, as well. Thirdly, turn to Proverbs chapter 5. This is just introduction. There's much more we could say on all, all of these. You've probably heard good preaching on this already. Uh, Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. We need to teach uh, the next generation to triumph over temptation. To triumph over temptation. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we're talking about sexual temptation. Sexual temptations. Proverbs chapter 5, the, the heading in, in my Bible says, The lips of a strange woman. Uh, let's just read verses 1 through 5, okay? Are you there? Proverbs chapter 5, let's read verses 1 through 5. You read with me, ready? My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. On hell. Couple of, couple of thoughts here. Number one, Temptation is real. Temptation is real. Verse 3. James chapter 1 talks about temptation. James chapter 1 is a great passage there. The progress, the temptation takes logical um, steps, and you can, you can trace it all the way through. And Bible gives lots of illustrations on that. James chapter 1 says, Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and attire. Every man is tempted. Temptation is real. Temptation is real. Temptation is deceiving, verse 3. Uh, it, it tastes sweet, honeycomb, smoother, smoother than oil. It's very, very, dece uh, very deceitful, very deceitful. There is pleasure in sin, okay? We, we don't do uh, uh, individually good if we say, well, sin, sin is bad, nasty. Uh, the, uh, there's pleasure in sin. The Bible tells us that, Hebrews chapter 11. There's pleasure in sin for a season, yeah. Yeah, for a season. So you play today, verse 3, you play today, verses 4 and 5, you pay tomorrow. The end, notice, verse 4, but in contrast, 
So there's pleasure. Temptation is real, and it is pleasurable. It is pleasurable. But that's not what's best. There are consequences that come. Play with sin today. You pay tomorrow. But her end is bitter. Wormwood, sharp, two-edged sword. Feet go down to death. Her steps take hold onto hell. We need to understand temptation is real. And, 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 and uh, we need to understand the process of temptation, and we need to understand that. Look at verse 8. Not only is temptation real, secondly, um, running is right. Verse, verse 8, remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. When the uh, Bible in the New Testament talks about sexual temptation and youthful lust, it uses the expression, flee, Youthful loss. Here it says, stay away, stay away, run, remove, run, run. There's times to run. There's times when we have to stand and fight. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. And then there's times when we need to run. And in sexual temptation, we just need to run. We need to run. You are going to get in trouble if you want to stand and fight it. You want to argue with it. You got to get out of there. And you want the classic example of that, Genesis chapter 39, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Classic example. Read it. She, she had intentions on him and desired him, and she arranged things. The text is very plain that he understood that there was an interest on her part. He did everything to avoid that, and she arranged it. So just the two of them were there, and, and, and she solicits him. What does he do? He runs. He runs. Why? Flee youthful lust. Running is right. Running is right. We just, and Joseph lost his coat, but he didn't lose his character. Remember the story? Joseph did what was right, and it cost him, but he did what was right, and God blessed him because he did what was right. And so we need to understand the danger of sexual temptation. Temptation is real. Running is right. Intimacy is reserved. Intimacy is reserved for marriage. Notice verses 15 through 18. 15 through 18. Read that with me. Ready? Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, rivers of waters in the streets. Let them be only thine own and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Young people, listen to me, okay? God has prepared a wonderful thing for you. He has made you a sexual being. And, and when the time is right, your body starts to change. You'll experience some things, okay? And God wants you to learn how to control that, how to control that. And God has pleasure intended for you after you say, I do. When you enter into marriage, the intimacy of the marriage relationship is a great joy and a great blessing. But you're to reserve that, reserve that till that time. Intimacy is reserved un until, until marriage, verses 15 through 18. Drink waters out of your own cisterns, out of your own well, the wife of your youth. Don't be ravished, my son, verse 20, with a strange woman. It's for uh, the fulfillment of sexual satisfaction is within the bonds of marriage, within the bonds of marriage. So keep yourself pure, keep yourself pure. And, and reserve yourself until, until marriage. That's God's plan. That's God's best for you. God has your best interest in, in mind. 
We need to uh, teach uh, the next generation to triumph over temptations. Then, then turn, if you would, to chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23. There are fleshly temptations too, and we'll just, we'll just touch on this very briefly. Fleshly temptations, Proverbs chapter 23. Notice down in verse 19, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 19. Are you, are you with me? Proverbs chapter 23, let's read verses 19, 19, through, um, 19 through 21. Ready? Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of the flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe the man with rags. My son, you need to understand this. You need to understand what fleshly temptations are all about. Three great weapons of the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the lust of the flesh is a sinful desire to do, to do. And, and so here in this context, it talks about excessive eating and excessive drinking. It talks about the drunkard and, and the glutton. We, we could throw in, in with that drugs and, and uh, alcohol and drugs and, and all the other fleshly temptations, sensual um, desires and temptations that are, that are out there. Uh, uh, he says, my son, be wise. Guide your, guide your heart. Don't get involved in that. And we need to learn how to overcome that. The next verses, the next verses talk about the danger of uh, alcohol and so on. Look down in verse 29. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine. And he's talking about alcohol and the dangers of alcohol. We talk about drugs and, and, and the other things uh, um, that, that are there. Two very simple thoughts. Notice verse 32. This is a destructive path. When you, when you start succumbing and giving in to the lust of the flesh, it's a very destructive path. Look at verse 32. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and singeth like an adder. You know what one of the uh, signs of maturity is? Being able to see the outcome. So when our, when our uh, young people, all they can see is the immediate in front of them, and they have a desire and they want to satisfy that desire, and they don't have the maturity to see where that decision will lead them, where, where, where it will go. As, they, as we grow and we teach them to look down the road, what, where, where is this path going to take you? What's the end result of this? And just as with the strange woman, the end result, the end result is hell, okay, and destruction. So with the fleshly loss, the end result, okay, yeah. Uh, uh, have a rescue mission here, here in Houston. You have Skid Row here, so you you go to those kind of places and and uh, you ask them if they uh, any of those people done if they if they intended to be there. In high school, my ambition is to be a drunk. My my my, my uh, no no. What happens? They get caught up in this and they give in to the pleasure that is there and and the excitement that is there and the thrill that is there and the devil deceives them. But the end is destruction. Not only is it a destructive path, verse 32, the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. But notice verse 35, it's addictive. They have stricken me. Shalt thou say, I was not sick? They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? 
I will seek it yet again. And there's a, an addictive nature to these kinds of sins. You know that. So, uh, uh, how easy it is to start a habit like smoking, how difficult it is to break it. It's addictive. And alcohol and drugs and so on. Start with recreational drugs and, and, and so on. And, and, and then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. That's the addictive nature. And we talk about sexual addictions, and we talk about all these other kinds of addictions, and, and the, list is, <laughs> the list is growing. There's an addictive nature to it. And so a, a little bit is thrilling and satisfying, pretty exciting the first time. There's pleasure in it, and, and then pretty much that's not, that's not going to satisfy. So we've got to do a little bit more, and we've got to do a little bit more, and before long we're hooked. We're hooked. And, and there are physiological and psychological and, and spiritual forces that are at work there, and we get hooked into, this, into these things. It's addictive, the addictive nature. Verse 35, a, a person ends up drunk and, and can't remember, oh, man, oh, a great weekend. This, this, this always, I, I never understood this in high school. So athletes I play with, you know, and, and I had a great weekend. What would you do? Well, I went to the party and got drunk. Well, what'd you do? Well, I puked. Well, that sounds like fun. So what happened? Ha, ah, I don't remember. Oh, it sure was fun. I'm going, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. But you get caught into this. You get started in this. Okay, you get started in this. And, and it's destructive and addictive. So we need to learn, teach them how to avoid that, how to resist that. Sexual temptations, we run from. We run from. We don't, we don't want to go there. We don't want to get started. We don't, we don't want to get close. Put up barriers, boundaries, standards. Okay? And so we need to teach the next generation. Would you agree with me that our society has gone nuts over this stuff? And, and we've got all kinds of perversions and all, all kinds of things that are pervading. And, and, and it's disturbing to me as a, as a pastor to see how young this stuff enters into the church. So we do an outreach for children and some of the things we did, we, we spoke to teenagers about a decade ago. We're teaching now against to just to just junior age and and even some primary age because it's, it's pervading our society. So we need to teach them to overcome temptation. I got to hurry. Look at chapter six, Proverbs chapter six. This is introductory. Okay, there's a lot more that could be said. We, we're we're not exhausting any of these, giving you a few things to think about. I want to encourage you to study them out on your own. There's good material that's written, okay? Pastor can point you in the right direction, okay? And, and uh, uh, good material that's written to help you study this out, and, and, and you can implement it. Look at, look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. We need, to, we need to teach the next generation about sound financial management. Sound financial management. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Read that with me. Ready? My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, thou art snared with the words of thy mouth. Thou art taken with the words of thy mouth. Do this now, my son, and deliver thyself. When thou art come into the hand of thy friend, go, humble thyself, and make sure thy friend. Give not sleep to thine eyes, nor slumber to thine eyelids. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. He's talking about the foolishness of co-signing. Um, taking on the liabilities for a friend. He said, oh, you're trapped. Get out of that. Get out of that. Humble yourself. Do what you have to do. Get out of that. That's not good management. That's not good financial principles. 
Get out of that. And so he talks about the foolishness of co-signing. There, there are lots of principles, financial principles, in the book of Proverbs. And, and uh, uh, Pastor's dad is, is Mark, right? Mark, he can help you with that. Okay? He's teaching Proverbs. And he, can, he can help you with that. So we need to learn what Proverbs says about giving. Giving. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shalt, thou barn, uh, so shalt thy barns be filled with plenty, thy presses shall burst out with new wine. The Bible talks about, a lot about giving. About giving. Um, can I say this? 40 years of ministry, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive out God. And, and God is gracious, you be God-like, you be gracious. And God is generous, you be God-like, you be generous. You'll never regret it. You'll never, you'll never regret it. And then you need to learn about debt. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Proverbs 22 verse 7, you learn about debt. Get out of debt, stay out of debt, okay? And understand what the Bible teaches about that. We could talk about spending, restrained spending, and savings, long-term savings, and investing, and eternal investing. All of these are financial principles, and the Bible gives lots of instruction upon that. Study that out, and then teach the next generation. Teach the next generation, then you do that. We have people in Washington, D.C. Who, who could learn from this. I have no clue. They're, let's just print more money. Let's just give it, give more, give more money away. And who, who's going to pay for that? The next generation. Okay. And in our own personal finances, we can't, we can't get away with that. And 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 you don't want to strap your children, or your grandchildren with that. So understand what the Bible says, then teach them how to be financially free. Lastly, Proverbs chapter six. Are you still in Proverbs six? Look at verses six through eleven. 6 through 11. Let's read that together. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Teach them the value of hard work. Teach them the value of hard work. Verses 6 through 11. Ready? Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer, gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Get a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shalt thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. Um, we need to teach the next generation the value of hard work. Um, the Bible talks about the ant. Uh, later, later in Proverbs, there are lessons from little things. It talks about the ants and the conies and the, and the geckos and the spiders. Okay, And it, and it, and it talks about uh, um, the locusts. Um, and the lessons that we can learn from them. The lesson from the ant is, is that they work hard, and, and they don't have to have oversight, and, and yet they, they're, they're working hard and laying up in store, providing meat in the summer, gathering her food in, in the harvest. And so the, the ant is an example that we can follow, follow uh, the example of the ant. The sluggard lacks initiative. Look at verse 9. The sluggard lacks initiative. He, he enjoys his pillow. He enjoys staying in bed and sleeping. When he should be working, he's sleeping. Okay, And so the sluggard lacks initiative. You want to do a, a study in Proverbs, contract, contrast between the diligent and the sluggard, or the slothful. Okay, and, and the sluggard lacks initiative. The sluggard excels at making excuses. 
Let me give you a couple of references for that. He excels at making excuses. Uh, chapter 20 and verse 4, chapter 22 and verse 13. Oh, it's too cold to go outside and plow. It's too cold. Down here you'd say, oh, it's too hot. It's too hot to go out and do that. It's too hot. Okay, up north we say, it's too cold. The sluggard says, it's too cold. We can't do that. So they fail to plow uh, and fail to plant. And what happens? Okay, then, then they, they reap the consequences of doing that. Oh, it's too dangerous. There's a lion in the streets. Um, yeah, they're making good at making excuses, aren't they? Oh, there's a lion out there. And, and they're good at making excuses. Quit making excuses. Do what you're supposed to do. Be where you're supposed to be. Work hard. Work hard and learn how to work hard. The diligent reaps his reward. There are lots of references there. Uh, chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 22 and verse 29. So our theme verse a couple years ago in our school, Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. And so we teach him to be diligent, and you will reap the rewards of hard work and, and effort. As parents, we, we love to give to our children, but we, we need to teach them the value of working, working for what they have so they can appreciate it and understand um, the, value, the value of it and, and, and teach them. We were just um, laughing uh, today with James because we lived up north and we get lots of snow. But I never had a snowblower, never never owned a snowblower until James went to college. Because why? He needed to learn how to, how to shovel snow. And so he, there's a couple classic blizzards, you know, that he, he dug us out and, and uh, learn, learning how to work. Ask him, ask him about mowing the back 40, okay, when they're riding lawnmower. So we had a couple acres in, in Pembine, and uh, the riding lower lawnmower went out. Grass still needed to be cut, so we, we got the push mower out. And I, I believe in teaching character. Ask James about that, okay? And he, he can tell the story a whole lot funnier and, and, <laughs> and better about that. Hey, we learn to teach them how, how to work. You know, people don't want, don't want to work today. Is that true? You, you have trouble finding uh, good employees? You, you, some of you guys own businesses. Trouble finding good employees and workers that don't want to work. They don't know how to work. Okay, we teach them how, how, how to work. See, us a man diligent in his business. He shall stand before kings. Uh, this is just an introduction. There's, there's a whole lot more we could say on all of these subjects. We could preach whole, whole messages on these topics, and there's more. I've touched on several of them. Study them, study them out, understand them. And teach them to your children. Uh, Solomon said, hey, son, sit down. Let me teach you this. This is important. Let me teach you this. My son, let me, don't miss this. And, and, and uh, we need to be doing that to the next generation. We need to pass that on. We need to be successful. We must, must be successful. Turn to the, one of the other books that Solomon wrote, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. So Solomon wrote, wrote Proverbs, a young man, and Solomon writes Ecclesiastes as an old man. And unfortunately, some of the instructions Solomon gave, he didn't follow. And, and his life takes a turn, and, and he succumbs to the uh, central sin and, and the temptations that are there and the evil. Um, he was warned about that, and he did it anyway. And, and, and uh, so his, his life wasn't everything it, it could have been and should have been, but at the end of his life, End of his life, the wisest man that ever lived, the wisest man wrote this, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. You can do this. You must do this. Please, 
for the sake of your family, for the sake of this church, for the sake of our nation, you must do this. You must do this. If we fail to teach a generation, we're lost. You, you can do this. And here's what it boils down to. Are you there? Ecclesiastes 12, last chapter, the last two verses. Let's read it together. You read it with me. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14. Ready? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Fear God and keep His commandments. We teach children the proper, teach the next generation the proper attitude and reverence for God. Fearing God, that's what that means. Putting God where He belongs, high and holy, and lifted up. And you submitting yourself, you being where you belong in submission to Him. And then know what he commands and do it. Know what he commands. Know his commands and then seek to follow him. Fear God and keep his commandments. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. And uh, Lord, I want it to be a blessing tonight and, and a help. This is a simple message, an introduction for us. Stimulate our thinking and challenge us to help us in these ways. So use, use your word to speak to our heart. We spend some additional time in the Word studying some of these subjects and then uh, passing them on to the next generation. Help us, we pray. Thank you for this church, for its pastor, for each member. Thank you for the exciting things that are happening, for the growth that we see. Ask your continued blessing as they continue uh, to pursue you in a way that pleases you. For it's in Christ's name we pray.